97% of salespeople are missing this one thing that if they only knew it would allow them to close 75% more sales. It has nothing to do with charisma, the gift of gab, or whatever else you've been told. Because if you're trying to convince your customer, that means they don't want to buy, which means you've already lost the sale. What sales professionals do is sell customers exactly what they want to buy. They work with the customer to uncover their current challenges, the consequences of those challenges, and how that's impacting them. They then help the prospect describe the ideal solution to their problems, what that looks like, and how that perfect outcome will impact them. And once they can picture that perfect outcome, price is irrelevant. That's right. Sales professionals sell customers exactly what they want to buy because it's easier dealing with a happy customer than dealing with a customer who felt sold. So here's the deal. I explain everything in my live two-day sales workshop, June 14th and 15th in my office. Go to closemoresales.com workshop and you'll be able to close more sales as soon as you get back. $240,000. Those commissions just aren't that lucrative. Out here, where you might pick up leads and be able to convert to listings on seven, $800,000 properties, um, that might be the same as flipping a house. 3% yeah. on 800 grand, $24,000. That's more than the average wholesale rep. Um, and you've also since sold your property management company. Yeah. So um, I know that you... Uh, have always been a great operator in that department. So what was the mindset getting to that or, or doing that? It is, um, it required a tremendous amount of energy for me um, because I'm just generally not um, naturally wired to do the precise work that comes along with property management. So I hired a bunch of really good people um, but the skill set and the behavioral profile of that person versus mine are so opposite. It required a ton. There was a lot of healthy conflict in those conversations. Mm -hmm. um, and then generally in property management, like the margins are just so low. And one of the things that I realized in property management is because the margins are so low, the, the normal person that they hire is paid an underwhelming wage. And when you have really hard work for people to do like mm -hmm. evicting people, handling maintenance tickets, like showing a house to 30 prospective tenants and only one of them qualifies. It's hard work. And you only pay $37,000 a year. It's just hard to get quality people. Yeah. Um, and then when you do, they're not going to stay alone for $37,000. So the right way to, I think to run a property management company is actually to raise your fee. Because the one thing I can tell you, property management, the management fee is not where people lose money. If they have an unsuccessful experience with a rental, it's not because they paid too much property management fee on a thousand dollar a month rental. At ten percent, it costs you a hundred bucks. Mm -hmm. One bad tenant costs you six months worth of rent, plus another probably six months worth of rent because they've trashed the place. Yeah, rehab. So poor management costs way more than expensive management. Right. Right. Um, so if I were to build a property management company today, I would charge 15% hire the highest quality people that money can buy. And I think you could actually build a property management company, um, that charges 15%. You would get higher tenant retention. You could get people to pay more for rent because of the experience that the, most people move, not because they don't like the house, because they don't like the landlord right. or they don't like the property management. They don't like the treatment. Correct. So it's just, it was one of those things that in order to do it right, I think I had to scrap 100% of the model that had been built and start with a 
premium property management company that that charges 15%, and I just didn't like the uh, the odds of that taking off. Right. Um, and we sell a ton of turnkey, so I had a bunch of, you know, 70% of our clients. We've sold, I don't know, 500 turnkeys in the last four years. Um, for me to move them from 7 or 8% to 15% would have probably just shocked them. Um so yeah, it was just one of those things. It's a it's a it's a it's close proximity to our core business, but it served for me to be more of a distraction than anything. Yeah, but it takes a lot of discipline, right? Because I've got massive shiny object syndrome. I mean, I'm I'm always looking at new opportunities and so on. And yeah. you're actively closing some of these not opportunities, but businesses that were bringing in revenue. Yeah. So for me, though, to to be clear, I transitioned. The lion's share of the ownership and 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 leadership to someone else didn't necessarily close them. I closed off the access to me. Got it. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I closed off the access to my most important people. So there's a, a a good saying that I heard that says, "Don't put your best people on your biggest problems. Put them on your biggest opportunities." Yeah. And the brokerage. And property management were like our biggest problems. Like, man, we're not getting these listings, and we should be doing this. And every listing we have, we should be able to get another buyer. And property management, if you don't do it correctly, you're going to upset the property owner. So it was a problem. Like, no one's ever said, how did you make your millions? And they said, property management, right? Or right. brokerage, unless it's at the the, 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 the ownership level, right? Mm-hmm. Not the individual broker. It's always been the Gary Kellers of the world or the, the top of the food chain. And... um. That was it for me. I was like, I, I can't have my best people on my biggest problems. I need to have them on our biggest opportunities. And that did not include um, the management of, and, and by the way, we have great partners for both of those. So nothing has suffered. And we've actually gotten better because we partnered with a property management company that was managing 5,000 units. And so we inherited all of their really good people. Yeah. And they're actually able to pay people more money because they're managing 5,000 units so 7% spread across 5,000 units is actually a lot of money, right? So they have really, really good people. Um, I've been, you know, we have a bunch of rentals of our own that are managed with them, and they've done a really good job for our turnkey clients. So and, I'm pretty uh, happy with the decision. And somewhere along the way, you started consulting. I did. Well, what's, what's the thought process behind that? So I think um, the best way to learn something is to teach it, right? Like for me... Um, you know, take for your example, like the best way to become the, a, a high performing salesperson is to teach sales. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Like, so for me, it started with, with actually social media where someone was doing it. I had FOMO and like someone in my market was doing Facebook lives. And I was like, man, why am I not doing that? So I took the leap of faith and I started doing it. And like after 40 days, I ran out of stuff to talk about. Right. Cause I talked about appraisals. I talked about septic tanks. I talked about you know, how to handle a change in terms, how to hire a real estate agent. And I was like, I got to talk tomorrow, and I don't know what to talk about. So that's when I started reading books mm-hmm. uh, three and a half, four years ago. And I was like, I'll just read a book, and I'll, if I learn one thing, I'll just teach that the next day. So I, it now put all of this pressure on me to learn. So everything I've learned in the last four years is because I felt compelled to teach it on my Facebook Live. So I start doing that, and then I start having people either through Collective Genius um, or just through social media that had reached out to me for advice. And uh, I would help them. And I'd be like, hey, man, I'll help you. Let's set up a call. I'll do this. I'll do that. 
And I'd help him two or three times. And then eventually someone was like, would you just talk with me each week? And I was like, dude, I don't know if I could do that. Like, I got a lot going on. And I was like, well, what if I paid you? Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, at some point, everything's always at least a little bit about the money. And coaching and consulting be very lucrative. So for me, I just kind of ran it through this internal filter of like, does this align with my greater purpose? And my greater purpose is to leverage my experience to build meaningful relationships, to positively impact the lives of people so that they can have belief in themselves that they can do anything and faith in others. So when you think about like, if I can spend an hour each week with someone, you know, that need help with business or leadership or real estate, and can I leave an impact on that person? And the answer was yes. And I was like, all right, I'll do it. Yeah. And um, I've had great response to it. I mean, some of the, the more meaningful relationships that I have outside of my family is some of the folks that I coach. Brought one of those young men with me today. You had a chance to meet him. Um, you know, and, and it was great for me because I've watched people in Phoenix, right? You guys were at the hub of the market changing. Like it was literally... Um, the leader, like it, it, it rose the fastest and fell the fastest. Mm-hmm. And those guys are like 25 years old. And I'm coaching them. They're like, dude, we had 300 grand in our pipeline and it vanished overnight. Like literally everything that we thought was a $40,000 deal went to zero. All right. They had 15 deals in their pipeline that were scheduled to go to Dispo that easily would have sold. They're smart, right? Didn't lock up bad deals, but each of those deals dropped in value by fifty dollars to $80,000. It was vanished. Within 45 days, they were able to pivot with my help to now going back within 30 days to $140,000 in net profit on the books for the following month. So they went from heroes to zeros and back to heroes again in a 60-day cycle. That's amazing. Yeah. And so the one thing um, about coaching that I think you got to be, or at least me, had to be aware of, and I put up a post last week, and I was like, I'm going to take on one client. And um, so I ended up taking on four, which is just classic Eric style, right? It's like I just kind of overcommitted myself, but I'll figure it out. But um, when they asked me why, I said, um, I don't know that, that I can sustain all of the wins and losses that come along with that. So for me as a coach, when you win, the great thing is I get the benefit of winning, mm-hmm. right? It's like Steve did that $40,000 deal or he hired this important person or, you know, he's been able to create more work-life balance because he's become a better leader. That's awesome. The downside is when I work with someone or I coach someone or I'm friends with someone when they lose, I also carry that yeah. sort of baggage with me too. So it's inevitable that in business people are going to have issues. And as their coach, what I've realized is, their problems become my problems, and I haven't become great at disconnecting from that. And my own business and businesses require enough of my energy and have enough of their ups and downs. If I bolt on five more wins, that's awesome. If I bolt on five more tough conversations with my partner, breakups with my partner, months where we didn't hit our goals, tough personnel decisions where I got to hire or fire someone and I'm not sure to do, I, I I absorb all of that, so I wanted to be pretty protective over that. Um, but I made the decision to bring on three or four more people than I said I was going to do, and I'll figure it out, and it'll just be the next thing for me where I'll have to learn how to still care deeply about the results um, that I get for them 
but be able to maybe disconnect a little bit better and 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 not you know live and die by their results. But yeah, I don't think that's such a bad thing. It's not a bad thing at all. I mean, that's that's I think that's a great thing. It's a great quality. Uh, so when you were here last, we were talking about innovations. Yeah. And uh, and you know what's crazy? Back then, nobody needed them, right? Mm-hmm. And so I was asking somebody today. I had literally had. I swear, I can show you eight innovations sales calls today about people yeah. that reached out to me. Um, there's still people that reach out to me from this show a year and a half ago, mm-hmm. and they'll say, I heard you on Steve's podcast. Tell me about this innovation deal. So I had like seven of those, five people signed up for our course. Wow. And I was like, this, that show was a year and a half ago. Where have you been? And one guy's like, I didn't need novations for the last two years. I could literally set a house on fire and put a sign in the yard, and it would still sell. And I was like, okay, touche, good point. Um, you know, so a lot of people ask me, um, is this a good market to do novations? The, the answer is absolutely yes. Um, I've been doing them since 2009 was when I first did it, but didn't need to. 2011, it really became an important part of my business. So if you remember what the business was like in 2011, it was tough, really hard to sell a house, pretty easy to find a deal, Mm -hmm. right? Um, So we started doing it in 2011, which is a lot like what we might be experiencing right now, right? It's just, there's there's a lot of speculation. Nobody knows if we've hit the bottom, if we hit the top or what's going to happen. So there's uncertainty with buyers, which just extends the sales cycle, Um but it's funny that uh, I did that show back then, and one or two people would reach out to me a month, and uh, now it's literally five or six a day yeah. because it's. Uh, I think we're gonna look back on this. Um, it might be this show, and you'll see. Like, when did Novations become popular? Mm-hmm. And I think you'll look back, and they'll say it was July twenty. What's the twenty seventh? I would say it was June because I mean I, I look at our analytics, and Brewer Method is continue consistently. Trending on my analytics. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, like the search and what people are, are watching. Yeah, like and they're, they're consistently watching Leon Johnson with yeah. Creative Finance. Yeah. And Eric Brewer. Well, Pace was just here and did. I mean, I, I've watched that six times now. Yeah. I mean, uh, you talk about sub two, like you can start taking over some houses that don't have a lot of equity with mm-hmm. 2.75% interest. Yeah. Um, so there's an awful lot of people talking about it. Um, so. Innovations right now is a great way to to try and you know, close the gap between what you were doing maybe six months ago where the market was crazy and you could sell anything for 30 grand over list. And, um, yeah. So what was your question? I'm sorry. I no, just that was it. Just we're talking about it. And I'm going to open up the Q and a in just a minute. Uh, but before we do that, like, you know, like we got Dan bro involved now. Yeah. And I'm really excited to have him kind of run the, uh, the, the business of the innovations part where we're trying to help people where we are helping people across the country yeah. execute Innovation. So yeah. I think I'm really excited about that. So uh, before we open up the questions, so like, uh, is there anything you guys are doing right now to pivot for this, you know, this shift? Yeah. Um, it's kind of crazy. It's it's a little um, nuts if you ask me, but um, I'm I'm super duper. That's pretty corny, but I'm super duper excited about what we're working on right now. And it's funny, like, you know, who always makes the money in a recession? The rich get richer, right? Oh, 100%. So who who would everybody say they talk about, man, you got to stack cash, wait for things to go on deal. Like, okay, that sounds great, dude. But like, what do you mean stack cash? Like, in order for me to save a million bucks, I got to make four, mm-hmm. right? So like, let's stop saying that for a second and stack cash. Like, I get it, right? We want to have a rainy day fund, but you got to produce enough money to actually save a bunch. 
So my idea was like, dude, if all these people that are worth a gazillion dollars, right, capitalize on a down market, I don't have a gazillion dollars. I got a couple bucks, but I don't. It's not a gazillion. Mm-hmm. So I can't make the type of acquisitions in the next two years if there's this opportunity that people think is going to happen to change the trajectory of my wealth and my family for the rest of my life. I can find the deals. I can rehab them. I can hire people. I can build a culture, but I don't have a gazillion dollars. I wonder if the people that have a gazillion dollars need someone to do those other four things. Yeah. So I've started strategic partnerships, um, knock on wood, two of them will actually be consummated relationships with funds that manage north of $250 million, and the other one's north of $2 billion. And then what we'll do is we will find these markets or assets that when they go on sale can be purchased. And then these, by the way, these people don't buy them to resell them. Mm-hmm. They purchase them, and then they stay in the family for 100 years. So our pivot is we're going to leverage our marketing, acquisitions, construction, property management, relationships to buy large assets or large pool of single-family assets in markets that our strategic partners want to be in because of the economics, right? It's either a rapidly appreciating market or it's a affordability is a big issue right now. Right? Yeah. Like you can't buy a house for less than $300,000 in 50% of the markets in the U.S., but you can in Pennsylvania, you can in Delaware, you can in Arkansas, you can in Mississippi. So there's still houses in Mississippi that are nice places you can buy for $100,000. So some people would say that home buyers will move away from where they want to live to where they need to live because of affordability. Yeah. And we've seen that, right, with Bruce um, Norris, who, who spoke at CG, who was mind-blowing. You're able to predict what's really going to happen in the market to a, a certain amount of accuracy just based on the economics. He's like, everybody would ask him a question. He goes, guys, it's just a math equation. If yeah. this lever goes up, this one has to go down. All right. Right? So our pivot is... Um, one of the things I'm going to do is I'm going to lean into more coaching and consulting because I think right now as things change, um, people are going to need more guidance. They're going to need to tighten up systems. They're going to need more of a support system. So I would love to be that for a select group of people. So I'm personally doing more coaching and mentoring. Um, and I also have the ability that our people are able to do that in small increments as well. So I'm able to pull in some of my folks um, you know, for a call here and there to help people support in that particular department if they need the help. And then aligning ourselves with folks that have a gazillion dollars that want to capitalize on this fire sale that may or may not happen. Right. If anything, it might not be the fire sale, but it will be a small reduction. Mm-hmm. Right. And then what we saw was like every 20 years, like Jimmy Vreeland told us, real estate doubles in value. Yeah. So we just need to, to, to watch it drop back to probably where it was like in 2019. And then that's where I think you pull the trigger and you buy stuff in volume. And then when you look at 2039, that stuff should double in value if it repeats the cycle that it has for the last hundred years. Exactly. Right. So that's how we're going to pivot. Um, and then just getting better at everything that we feel that we're okay at, just ratcheting up what we believe is acceptable. Buy a little bit deeper, get a little bit better at dispositions, make sure that our people are happy. Make sure that we're keeping them incentivized, both emotionally and financially. Um, we just, we've always been pretty good. I, I want us to just probably be great. Yeah. 
So we're going to jump into the questions. Before we do that, we got a quick promo video. So check that out. And then, guys, ask your questions. We're going to answer all of them. His sales training is unbelievable, right? There is other sales training in theory. Going through this stuff with how he breaks down his business is, this is like invaluable um, because there's no other way to get this type of like, this type of access with someone who's such an open book about every little thing that is completely applicable to my business. Anyone who wants to bring their business to the next level, anyone who wants to close 30, 40, 50% more of the deals, uh, I mean, there's no one who wouldn't benefit from being better at sales. Uh, I mean, anyone in real estate, anyone, I mean, anyone that has a, any entrepreneur that has a business, um, not all the information may be presented to you, but time management, um, knowing how to work with people, having sales skills, because I think we're all in sales and marketing, and it could pertain to anybody, honestly. I would have to say it's asking questions. That's the biggest thing. You don't want to give an answer right away. And if you're able to, uh, answer their question with another question. And also that al along the process, it's going to be very uncomfortable talking to the sellers, asking the questions that you need to and digging for pain. But that's going to come with experience. So, um, If you're struggling, I think this is David that you need to come to to make sure that you take your business to the next level. So going to the questions here, we got a bunch of great questions. So on YouTube, we got Camilo Tatis. I'm in the Long Island market. How can innovations work in the New York market? So everything in New York is harder, right? <laughs> actually, I met Dan Bro, um, and it, it is difficult um, when you're an attorney state, an attorney state. However, um, one of our best students that we taught the Brewer Method to is Tommy Caffarella, who does business close by, uh, also in an attorney state. And what we found is, um, it's kind of like, and I always reference the movie Eight Mile, right? And you mm -hmm. remember at the end where Eminem opened up with the rap where he dissed himself and he said, here, tell me everything, tell them know. something they don't yeah. know about me, right? So that's what we do in New York. What happens is, is when you pitch innovation, the seller's like, yeah, man, this sounds great. Like, this is a great deal. I'm all on board. The attorney just absolutely lasers the thing, right? Like mm -hmm. with a red Sharpie. No, 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 no. So Tommy calls me. It's actually on my Instagram. He posted or sent me a voice message with his Boston accent and was like, bro, I just locked up this weekend 200,000 in novation deals. He called me the next weekend and was like, dude, 200 grand of my deals fell apart. What do I do? So we actually created... In the spirit of Eight Mile, which is one of the best movies of all time, a cover sheet for people in the Brewer Method, when they take it to the attorney, we say, here's all of the things that your attorney's probably going to have a question about. Mm -hmm. Why don't we create a sheet so that you can answer when you guys meet why this program made sense to you? He went from 50% fallout rate to literally like 20% fallout rate. So in New York, what you have to do because of being such a litigious attorney state is you really have to arm your seller with the ammunition to be able to explain to the attorney why I'm choosing this option mm -hmm. versus listing it or selling it myself or, you know, going the conventional means of selling it. 
100% can be done in New York. I just met with the um, um, oh, the two brothers, Austin and Jake. Yeah, the Draft brothers. Um, the Draft brothers, right? And they're in, um, uh, they're like 25 minutes north of Manhattan, um, and they do business in Connecticut and, and upstate New York, and uh, they're killing it with Novations. They have one of the best things I've ever seen them do, um, some young killers, right? They have in-house counsel. Mm-hmm. Like they hired an attorney that works in their office. He's a W-2 employee. <laughs> Completely changed their business. Because yeah. the crazy thing is New York is it takes like six weeks to get a title search back. It's mm-hmm. the craziest thing I've Attorneys ever seen. Attorneys are awful up there. It's horrible. Right? Like you you really have no say about when you're going to close. They'll let you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so to answer his question, um, there is a way that you can condition um, provide basically a cover sheet that goes with the deal. So when they take it to their attorney, you basically are are, are nullifying um, a lot of the the, the, the holes that are going to shoot in your deal and then educating the seller on, hey, the attorney's going to ask you this. If he asked why you're choosing to do this, what would you say? Well, yeah. it's because I want to go this route. I don't want to list it. I don't want to make any repairs. No problem. We'll write that in here. So then we provide a cover sheet that goes to the attorney that cut his fallout rate in half. Yeah, that's awesome. So follow-up question or continuation of that question how can I protect? How can I be protected in the event a homeowner decides to renege on the renovations after the re- renovations are done? So here's the the thing when you when you learn about what we teach innovations is it's revenue without reno. Um, we do not. Um, so the 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 renovation fix and flip innovation is like so 2005, right? Um, the way that we apply novations is really quick. When you look at 100 net leads, good operators are going to convert about 10% of them. That leaves 90 people. 50 of those people not likely to make a decision to sell their home in the, in the near future, right? Unrealistic pricing, unrealistic timelines, multiple executors, wife and husband not on the same page. 50 of them go into a long-term nurture campaign. They're not going to be converted. 40 out of 100 have decent properties with decent expectations that would likely sell to you if you could just put the right plan in front of them. So the innovation deals that we're doing, and by the way, 40 out, out of those 40 deals, if you suck at sales and you don't present it to every customer the way you should and you're not real good at follow-up, you'll convert 5% of those. Yeah. Out of, so that's two deals. Out of every 100 net leads, you should find two new deals. If you still stink at sales and you haven't paid someone like Steve to teach you sales, but you present it to every single customer, you should convert 10%. If you're good at sales, you present it to every customer, and you have decent follow-up systems in place, you should convert 15%. These are nice houses. You're mm-hmm. you're you are not doing renovations. Um, what you want to use as as sort of your barometer is will it pass an FHA appraisal? That's that's like the 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 Mendoza line, sort of speak, right? From baseball yeah. terminology of where a novation start and stops. And these are people that are saying things like, Steve, that sounds really good, but I'm not in any hurry. And that's great that you can close in seven days, but I don't care if we close in seven months. I'm not going to a dollar below 100, and yep. your offer is 70, right? So our our form of novations appeals to almost 50% of the leads that you get, and they're people that generally have a little bit of motivation but not distress, and the property condition and their life circumstances condition are not weighing them down to the point to where they're willing to let it go at 50 cents on the dollar. So our style of novations does not include renovation, and it's a far more lucrative option than what I've seen with 
getting the property, renovating it, and then hoping that after you do a 50 grand rental that you're protected. I'm no moss on that. Yeah, that's always a scary, scary idea. Uh, another question is what payment structure or salary would you pay your acquisition slash sales person? Um, so one of the things I think we do a lot of times when, when we start this business is we want everybody to be 1099 commission only. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it sends a, a, a dangerous signal. It's like, I don't, what, I don't have the confidence in your ability to perform. So you're only able to make money if I make money. I think it's broken. I think you should hire acquisitions. People pay them three to $6,000 training salary, right? Cause a lot of these people that you're hiring um, probably already have a decent job, mm-hmm. right? Um, so in order to get them to make the move to come over and work for you, if you hire them a, say, three to $5,000 training salary for 90 days where they don't have to pay it back, they can actually focus on learning the job and not be stressed out about making a couple bucks to cover their bills. Then what we do is we have a blended salary and commission percentage, um, and they can choose that. So if it's salary and commission, the commission percentage is a little bit less. For some of our more spirited entrepreneurs, they can go 100% commission. And then what we have is a 10, 12, and 15% payment plan for acquisitions. I don't mean to talk too fast, but I know we don't have a ton of time, and I yeah. think this is an important question. So they, if they generate hundred dollars to $150,000 in monthly revenue, they get 10%. Once they go over the 150 mark, they go to 12% all the way up to 200. So they get 12% on the full $199,000, right? So So it's a $4,000 bump. It's retro. Um, Then then once they go from 201 to 250, if they hit 251, they go to 15%. So if someone does $250,000 in a month, that 5% difference on $250,000 is $12,000. But they only get it if the team hits their goal. So the team has to hit a half a million dollars Mm -hmm. for the individual to get their individual bonus. Interesting. Yeah, right? So um, that's how I pay. But generally, uh, I think across the industry, 10% is like the average for acquisitions agent. I would encourage you to have an incentive plan. So where if they push for and hit revenue numbers that are well above, or not well above, but reasonably above their expectation, that they should get some type of incentive and 12% is a, is a, is a reasonable amount to share with them. And the same question for lead manager. Uh, so lead managers we pay, I, I think today in order to get anybody um, of reasonable value, it's, you got to pay 20 bucks an hour. Right. So, and remember these are sales positions. So I think for lead managers, you're going to be somewhere between 17 and 20 bucks an hour, depending on the market that you're in. Um, and then we pay a appointment bonus attended appointment bonus because that's their sale. So that's like, that's like an acquisitions guy getting a closing, getting an appointment for a lead manager or an inside sales agent is their sale. So Mm -hmm. we pay them for attended appointments. Um, I think it's $25 per appointment. So if they schedule 15 appointments a week, that's a lot of money. And then they get a hundred dollar per closing. So if they, if their attended appointment ends up in a closing, they get paid. Um, So our lead managers can make 70, $75,000 a year, work nine to five and not have, the pressure of an acquisitions or a full blown um, outside salesperson. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, and you're, you're talking about, you know, they're selling appointments. That's one of the things that, you know, we have our lead manager training program, something I'm doing with Jason Lewis. Yeah. Um, and the first thing we talk about as far as mindset goes is like, you guys are not setting appointments. You guys are not book appointments. You guys are selling appointments. Right. Uh, so I love that you're using that same language. Yeah. Um, 
on IG, we got uh, Vicance. How do you hire a sales rep on commission basis? How do you hire a sales rep on a commission basis? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not 100% sure how to answer that Probably question. the question is, how are you sourcing them? So it, it comes from uh, social media for me. Yeah. Um, one of the other things, too, one of the more brilliant people I've ever met in real estate who's in Collective Genius, uh, Phil Green and Eric Guideson, um, they get what they call forced referrals from their people. Like they literally sit down their best salespeople and go, I need 50 of your Facebook friends by five o'clock or you're out of here, right? It's like <laughs> an old, an old, old showdown. Um, but literally, um, what we really do is we want to create employees that create employees. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I would tell you that probably seven or eight out of our last 10 hires at any sales position in the company has come from a direct referral. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I would tell you to um, network heavily, um, which you should be doing anyway as a wholesaler or real estate investor out there. Um, there's a lot of wholesalers that work for themselves that would love the opportunity to come work somewhere where they would have someone take on the lion's share of the ownership responsibility and stress. So one thing you can do is try and hire other wholesalers as employees. We generally shy away from that because we feel like they're going to leave us, but it goes back to what we talked about earlier. If you hire the right person and you lead and train them and manage them in a way that they don't want to leave, you got to eliminate the risk of them going out on their own. And uh, on IG, Metro Phoenix wants, or says, leadership is easy if you're a natural leader. If you're not you're not all the books in the world, will not make people follow you. What are your thoughts on that? I think it's BS. So, I don't think there so? is such thing as a natural leader. Um, I think there's naturally more assertive people. Mm-hmm. Um, there's bossy people, right? Yeah. And a lot of times we identify them as a leader because of status or their position or title. Um, but I, I, I don't know anybody that was naturally born with what we now know to be the humility that's required for leadership and the rare blend of that humility and confidence that you can conquer the world. Yeah. I just, I don't know. We talk to a lot of people, a lot of successful real estate people. How many of those just said, man, I'm just a natural leader. Mm-hmm. It's the hardest thing. When you look at hot seats and what people present on what they need help with, it's always leadership. Yeah. I think it's hard. Um, I think I'm a darn good leader mm-hmm. right now, and I I was definitely not a natural-born leader. Um, you know, for I, sure. think, I think I was a natural leader, uh, but even though I was a natural leader, I was still horrendous at it, and I needed a lot. Like, I think I had the foundation. Yeah. Uh, but... Uh, you know, through sports and everything else, right? Uh, and then just people naturally wanted to kind of follow along where I was going. Yeah. But that only got me so far. I think you have to develop it. That's the and thing. It I, could be inherent, like it's in you, but it needs to be oh, it my, needs to be it's uncovered. Like, it's like, I mean, talent doesn't matter if you don't do the work. Yeah. Right? So, like, I think maybe I had 10 to 15% of it. Yeah. <laughs> but the books and the training and everything else, being surrounded by the right people, helps you become that leader. Well, that's kind of like if you go back to, like, the old sports adage, right? It's like... um Preparation beats talent when talent fails to prepare. Yeah. Right. So I think leadership would be the same thing is, is you mm-hmm. can have the, the best naturally gifted athlete in the world. And when you typically look at the people that succeed and win world championships and go to the hall of fame and leave a lasting legacy 
um, on the sport when they're gone or the business when they're gone. It's because they've been able to develop as a great teammate or they've been able to develop as a leader that 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 holds people accountable, but also you know champions and congratulates them when they do even the most. You know, one of the things I think we we fail to do as leaders that I want to make sure I, I share because I, I remind myself of as often is a lot of times as leaders, we only celebrate or congratulate the great. And if I were to go into any organization, a lot of times I ask this business, what if everybody here just did 90% or 75% of what they're expected to do? Like, oh my God, like things would be great. I was like, so when someone does 75% of what they're expected to do, uh, how big of a deal do you make of it? Well, we don't. They hit 75. But hold on for a second. You told me of everybody. So we 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 don't celebrate because often to hit 75% of goal, you had to give 100% effort. Mm-hmm. So I'm more going to congratulate the effort it took to get you to 75% than I am going to exaggerate the fact that you fell short of your goal. It's yeah. a slippery slope, right? Like you got to be careful that you're not encouraging mediocrity. But again, the one thing that I can say is when you bring the right people in, and you've been very disciplined about that, that it, that's off the table, mm-hmm. right? I'm incentivizing a person that I know is the right person that did all of the right things but came up a little bit short. Yeah. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Rewarding the effort. So I think leadership is the same. You you could have naturally embedded leadership instincts, but it is something that really needs to be developed and yeah. practiced and, and, and constantly pursued. I think uh, I go back to, you know, my – Example I always go to is uh, Darius Miles versus Kobe Bryant, right? Because they were both on the cover of Slam Magazine talking about, like, this is the future, yeah. you know? and Nobody even knows who Darius Miles yeah. is anymore. It's Darius Miles, even... like, dunked on Charles Oakley yeah. in a Michael Jordan camp. Yeah. And, well, <laughs> yeah, that was all talent. Yes. Um, so, and the other thing, too, I want to say earlier, you know, you were talking about how you hired all these people uh, through referral. Gary Harper, you know, he says, like, you know, the best indication of the health of a company is how many people are referring within the company. Yeah, he told me that the, that actually they started that staffing company as a lead generator for their leadership business. And I said, what do you mean? He goes, when people call us because they're struggling hiring, it means they have a leadership problem. Yeah. And uh, I don't know, it was a couple CG meetings ago, right? There was a keynote that said, you can't hire the right people until you become the right leader. Mm-hmm. So anytime someone says, man, I just can't find good people, Chances are it's because you're not a good leader or you're yeah. not the right person. So, Which is in, goes full circle to what you said in the very beginning, right? Like as far as scaling was that you learned that you weren't the right leader at that time. Yeah. Uh, Kimmel, another question on YouTube. In the process of onboarding with Bateman, Audantic, and Lamasu, and I'm a one-man show. So he's about to spend some money. Yes. He's a one-man show. I mean, that's a... $30,000 a month commitment we just talked about. Uh, who would you recommend be my first hire? It depends on what you're good at. Um, if you stink at sales and you don't like it, um, you may want to get some support there. I'm going to assume for a second, if you've just invested that kind of money into those resources, that you're probably pretty good at sales. My first hire would be probably one of two people, an administrative person that could take some admin duties off of my plate, and or a inside sales agent, because you're going to get a bunch of leads from those lead sources. Only 50% of them qualify realistically for you to make an offer and to pursue making a deal. So if you hire a lead manager, they can talk to the 100 people you get to month and whittle that list of 100 people down to the 40 most qualified people where you, 
as the sales leader of the organization, should be able to close 15% of those. So either an executive assistant to help me with admin if you don't have that support now, or an inside sales agent to take all of those leads. Because with Bateman and Aldanic, you're going to get a bunch of leads, right? Mm -hmm. um, but the reality is you're only going to convert 10% of those, but you have to talk to all 100 as if they are all a deal. You can't treat, you don't know where the 10 deals are in those 100. So you have to treat all 100 as if they're a deal until you know otherwise. Right. So I would say an inside sales agent slash lead manager, um, when you're going to turn on that type of, because you, you could have leads coming in, and if you don't answer it live, call them back in 60 seconds and follow up five times every day for seven days, you're going to waste all those leads. Uh, so um, great by choice. You, you read that recently. Yeah. And uh, you made me reread it. So I, I'm close to finishing it. And uh, you were right. There were things that, you know, I've forgotten. Um, and one of those principles was, you know, fire bullets yeah. before cannonballs. Yeah. I think Camilo, you might be firing a cannonball here. You Sounds might, like it. Are yeah. we trying to do too many things? If, so. Yeah. To, to make that type of commitment without knowing who, or maybe they're just talking about their next logical hire. I mean, obviously if you're able to make that substantial of a commitment, you've, you've, you've made some money, but, um, I, and I, and I think, it's okay to fire cannonballs, though, after you've fired bullets. So right. there's a place for cannonballs, yeah. right? And for those of you that haven't read the book, bottom line is um, he talks about great by choice and companies that, 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 that were great. One distinct difference between them and the companies that failed is they make empirical innovation. And empirical innovation for them means if they think that they should go do some data or some PPC, they spend $3,000, get a couple leads, and see how they convert, and then they go – all in and spend 30 grand mm -hmm. because they have empirical data that says, hey, listen, we're getting a 5x return off of that. We're now going to go all in and spend 50 grand a month on those same lead yeah. sources. Um, so Great by Choice talks about bullets, how they're, what is it, low distraction, low cost, low risk. And low risk doesn't mean that it has a high probability to succeed. It means if it fails, it's not going to put you out impact. of business. Yeah. yeah. It's a great book, by the way. Uh, Jalabi on YouTube, how do I contact Mr. Brewer if I have a turnkey rental under contract for him to acquire an innovation? Um, best way to get a hold of me is um, Instagram. Um, we can post that in there. I think it's Brewer underscore invest, um, or you can find me on Facebook. I may be getting close to 5,000 people, but um, you can follow me on Facebook, um, or you can email me, um, eric at integrity first homebuyers.com. Um, Alexis Adams wants to know, how do you pitch a novation agreement? Um, do we have time for that? I can probably knock it out in a couple seconds. Go for it. Less than a minute. So here's the bottom line. Um, if you know anything about negotiation, Steve will tell you that you had to lead with a price anchor. Um, when you lead with a price anchor, um, behavioral science will tell you if someone was thinking 100 and you price anchor them at 30, you've modified their expectations about where they're going to end up. So you need to lead all of your wholesale appointments with a price anchor. If that person has made the decision that they've exhausted negotiations and your max allowable offer, let's say, is 70 and your clients is 100, what you're going to say to that person is, hey, Steve, um, if it's okay with you, I'd like to share um, a really cool program that we started not so long ago um, to help clients get more equity out of their home. Um, I'm not 100% sure that this property in your situation would qualify. Um, you might not even be interested, but it's called our equity protection program. And really myself and the owner of the company realized that 
and you might not know this, but eight out of 10 people that I meet with um, say, yes, they'd like to do a deal with me, but they say no to my price. And um, as a salesperson, that's just, that's hard. Eight out of 10 times I'm striking out, right? If I was in baseball, I'd get sent to the minor leagues. Mm -hmm. But um, so I sat down with the owner and I said, you know what? Um, we got to figure out a way to pay these nice people more money for their homes. Um, but I do understand that we need to maintain the integrity of the investment. I mean, we're investors, right? And uh, first the owner laughed at me and threw me out of his office and took away my preferred parking spot at the office. <laughs> and then I just put my, my, my fist down and I, I'll, I'll go like this and I'll go, listen, this, we have to do this for two reasons. One, we have to help more people. And in our company, that's part of our core values, right? It's part of our purpose. So it's easy for us to, to say that and, and know that we mean it. And number two is as a salesperson, like, I just can't strike out nine times out of 10. It's, it's just killing my, my mindset. It's just, it's hard for me to scrape myself up every day and say, all right, I'm going to come back in tomorrow and nine times out of 10, I'm going to strike out. So we came up with this equity protection program and it only requires two things from you um, a little bit of flexibility on providing me reasonable access. We don't say showings. Mm -hmm. We say reasonable access because showings is a listing. Reasonable access is an investor relationship. And then we need access to put the property on the open market. We say open market, not MLS, because MLS sounds like, why wouldn't I just list it? Which is what 95% of investors, when I explain novations to them, they go, why wouldn't they just list it? Um, it's because we position and we pitch it. And, 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 and then here's the other part. If you've done a good job over the course of your sales appointment, which is 30 to 60 to maybe 90 minutes long if you're in person, they actually should want to do business with you right. by not presenting them with an option that allows you to make a reasonable profit as an investor and get the money out of the deal that they need to have it make sense. You're actually doing that client a disservice. Matt Andrews, who works with us very closely, mm -hmm. says the only reason you wouldn't do novations is because you don't know how. Right. Right. So that's how you pitch novations. And then Steve's heard me before, but I don't want to get too deep is then I tell him that I'm basically going to bring the property to the market with four different options as is, but because I understand construction, if someone comes to me with a problem, I can fix it. I've heard you say loud and clear, Steve, that you want to sell it as is no inspections. The second option would be someone might want to come and buy this house from me, right? And they'll buy it the way it sits, but they want to do a kitchen. Now that kitchen, they're going to know costs $15,000 retail, but because of my relationships with contractors and my understanding of construction, I can probably get that kitchen done for $10,000. Now I've made a little profit on the upgrade that the buyer selected, not on the purchase of the property because you've done such a good job squeaking all of that equity out of the deal. Third option would be is maybe they want a kitchen and they'd like that roof done. You and I talked about that it might last for two years, but it might last for 20 a lot of people in this price range are just going to want the security of knowing that that roof's going to last for 20 years. Same deal. Yep. They might think the roof costs $15,000, which it does, but because of my relationship with contractors and my experience in real estate, I'm able to get it done for 12. Now I've made another very small but reasonable profit on those upgrades, not the purchase of the property because you've done such a good job squeaking all the equity out of the deal. The fourth option is, and Boy, I hope this doesn't happen because it's a it's a really big pain in the butt. Is they might come to me and say, Steve, I'll buy this house from you, and I want it fully renovated, and you name your price. 
Problem is, is they're good. we're probably going to make good money on that, but it's going to take six months. They're going to show up at the job site every day. They're going to want to pick out literally every light fixture, and then 50% of the time, something happens with the deal. They get upset, and the deal's off. So we only do it if we get a really big deposit, and we're doing it well after you and I have settled up. Yeah. So if we do that and you allow me those two things I talked about, I can bring the property to the market with those four options. It gives me a distinct advantage over every other house that's on the market. Because if you go look at the neighbor's house, I'm sure it says, here's the price, here's the condition, take it or leave it. Mm-hmm. Where I'm saying, hey, pick your options, one of these four, yeah. right? And then we put right in the, the public remarks, ask agent about possible renovations. And then here's the the, 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 the reality of it. 99% of the time, we don't do any of those four. Right. But we're open to it. And then when buyers come to us and they ask about renovations and we tell them we need a big deposit and we tell them we're only going to do the renovations after, they go, okay, we'll take it as is. Yeah. Right? So 99% of the innovations we do, we only do punch list style appraisal repairs. Um, Ingrid Hernandez, uh, she uh, mentioned that she prefers sub two and retail subtail versus innovations. She had an issue with where innovation, where the seller got kind of squirmy. So have you ever done subtails where you're doing sub two and retail? I have not, but I, in my experience, it's much easier to get someone to work with me. And again, I think one of the things that we got to clarify is up until we've really been teaching and preaching this version of Novations, mm-hmm. what everybody else has done before is, is, is not the same. Right. Right. It's just, so I would tell you to revisit Novations. Your experience previously might have been negative because of that form of Novations, which included rehab and all that stuff. But, like, if I'm looking at it from a consumer perspective, I'm much more likely to be squirrely when I'm trusting you to make my mortgage payment for 12 years than I am saying, hey, we're going to settle up in 90 days and I need reasonable access to be able to bring this property to the open market in the next 90 days. You shouldn't have too much trouble with sellers getting squirrely um, particularly if you're being very transparent. And that's one of the things I love about Novations is I'm saying, I already told them I'm going to list it. I'm going to try and work one of these four deals, and I'm going to do my best to make profit on someone that comes along and makes me an offer to buy your home. There's zero confusion about what my plan is when that property goes on the market versus the normal wholesale where it's like I'm bringing my partner or my contractor, and it's this sort of gray area song and dance about whether you're actually buying the home. Do you really have the cash? Are you going to settle on time? Um, so one of the things I love about Novations is it's very transparent. Um, and sellers generally just don't get squirrely. Right. So um, that's all the questions I see here. Uh, I want you to think about a message I'm going to leave all the listeners with. Okay. Um, and then uh, we have just a couple of quick announcements. So uh, guys, you guys already heard earlier, we got sales disruptors, day and a half in my office, talking about sales, our sales process, and you're going to get to meet everyone in my office, see them work, see them work real time, so, you know, we're not just talking about it. Tomorrow, Eric and I were doing part of the disruption, right? We got that with RJ and CJ. I don't even know why we have them. It should just be you and me. I mean, uh, fluffers. <laughs> and then we got uh, this Friday. I'm doing my very first show with Paul Sparks. We're going to be doing Certainty Talks. So that's going to be our first uh, show this coming Friday. Uh, so what are some last thoughts you want to leave all the listeners with? Um, Man, that's tough. I feel like I've um, 
given you all I had in the last hour and 20 minutes. Um, I don't know. I mean, I want to try and come up with something like cool and trendy to say, right. That um, maybe shocks people, but I, I think it's just um, to keep going. You know, I, I can remember a time in my business. I can remember a time in, in my parenting journey. I can remember a time in my fitness and health journey where I just wanted to quit. And um, I would just encourage people to keep going. Um, seek counsel. Um, sometimes that shows up in, in different ways for different people that may be um, spiritually where they're, they're, they're finding some, some peace and some guidance through, um, you know, the church. Um, sometimes it's, you know, you and I have become great friends, and there's been times where you've given me some sage advice that might not at that particular moment um, had the impact that it was intended or, or, or designed to have, but six months later it resonated with me because I was more receptive to what was going on. You told me a year and a half ago or so, or maybe a year ago we sat down, and I was thinking about all this stuff, and you actually challenged me to do what I'm doing now. And you're like, why wouldn't you do it yourself? Like, you can do whatever you want. People like you. You know what you're talking about. Why would you... Like, go this route. That seems small. You basically called me the P word. And um, <laughs> at the time, I, I fought back. I was like, no, dude, you don't understand. And then um, once I got through that phase of what I was going through, that was actually right when I lost my COO and I was distraught, right? So when you challenged me to think big, it was like, dude, I'm in preservation mode. Um, so just being part of, of a community, being part of a group of people, um, a lot of times as real estate entrepreneurs, um, we force ourselves to walk that path alone. Um, and we feel like we can't talk about our problems or our emotions. And um, I would just encourage you to keep going. And um, this may surprise you to hear from me because you met me a couple years ago. But uh, just love on people, man. Like, if you love on people... It's amazing the results that you can get out of uh, those relationships. And um, I've really started to, to just give people the benefit of the doubt. Um, I don't ask for people to earn my trust anymore. I extend them that trust and then just keep a close eye on whether or not they're a good steward of that. And um, so that would be it. I would just say keep going, um, love on people, and... Um, you can find the answers that you're looking for. You're almost always just one relationship away from everything you've ever dreamed of. Yeah. And um, that sounds pretty profound, right? Yeah. Well, that is it's, okay. It's absolutely true, right? And we found each other through, you know, being in a community together. Yeah. And uh, I appreciate your kind words. And it's, it goes both ways, right? Like, I've called you. I was right. hoping you would point that out because it's probably a little skewed. I think <laughs> I've given more to you than I've received. But um, no, it's it's you're right. I mean, and, and you know what? And Larry will tell you this, right? He says when you're vulnerable, mm -hmm. it means that you can acknowledge your weaknesses and admit them. Mm -hmm. And that creates the opportunity for people to help. And then here's the deep part. Helping people is like crack to yeah. people. Right? It is. So when you become vulnerable, right, you give people the chance to help you. And when that's the, and so that's the, that's the paradox, right? Let's end on that note. As, as a leader, we never give ourselves permission 
typically to admit that we're wrong or we need help. I got to be big and strong and no one can ever see me be vulnerable. When the reality turns out, it's the exact opposite. Yeah. The more vulnerable you are as a leader, the more people will help you, which means now you have 10 people working on something versus one, right? Mm-hmm. And it builds that trust, which if you read Five Dysfunctions of a Team, it's one of the best books ever written that'll help you build a business. The foundation of results is trust. And that's where we get things like commitment and healthy conflict and accountability. So, um, yeah, man, one of the, this is one of the more meaningful relationships in my life. I consider you to be a friend. Um, I'm so thankful that you had me here. Um, I had a lot I wanted to uncover and, and get out about what's changed in my life since the last time that we spoke, because I'm pretty proud of it. Yeah. And uh, I also just want to encourage people. I'm glad you asked that question. I wasn't prepared for it. You put me on the spot a little bit, but um, I just want to encourage people to keep going. And um, that's part of why I'm coaching and mentoring and why I'm so excited about my role at CG, because it gives me the ability to give them sometimes that little nudge that they need to, to not give up. And for me, if I'm able to, to help enough people by the time I leave, um, not here, by the time I leave this earth, um, that's how I'll measure um, whether or not, you know, I did a good job. I think we should include that one particular slide of my picture with Eric Brewer. What? Which one? The picture of Eric Brewer. Yeah. The the chemical the no, chemical. No. <laughs> That's the, I need to sign something as part of this. Like you can't distribute this content unless that picture never resurfaces again. I think it's only fair as a two time guest. How many two time guests have you had? Uh, you don't want the answer to that question. Um, a lot. Yes. Uh, okay. I feel like crap now. Um, so I'll be back in three months, and then I want to know how many three time uh, guests that you have. But no, man, I really appreciate you having me here. Um, you got a great platform. Um, I've met some some extraordinary people just through folks that went back and or, or listened to this from a year and a half ago and have reached out to me because something about that conversation resonated with them. And um, again, hoping people was like crack the humans. So every time someone reaches out to me, I was like, man, I heard you on Steve's show. And what you said about coming from the car business or doing this or doing that really helped me. And I just reached out to you to tell you thanks. It's it's almost as good as money. Um, it's not quite as good. I mean, I always like to get a paycheck, but it's a close. I second. do think it's better than money. It's you got to have both though. You got to have both. Yeah, you can't you have both, but you only need seventy five thousand a year to be happy. Everything above that's a waste. Yeah, you're right. So perfect. All right. So thank you so much. Pleasure. As always, and we'll see you guys tomorrow. And Eric will be back again to score zero points. See you guys next week.